Welcome to the Confident Couples Podcast, episode 19. Hey, we're Bud and Sarah Dunn. Here's a radical idea. We don't think your relationship has to be hard if you make it intentional. We've been together for over 16 years and we still like each other. Yep. We want to share the intentional practices that have built the relationship we want. So think about us as your marriage cheerleaders. We know you can have a relationship that's positive, uplifting, and that helps you reach your goals and dreams. The Confident Couples Podcast is advice for young couples who want to last. Today, we're talking about the Enneagram. And since that's a big subject with lots of numbers, we brought in an expert that Bud knows. That's right. We brought in Barb Lawton, my professional coach with Vistage, and we go into all the Enneagram information that's out there and how awesome it was to learn and to hear more from the expert on this and get knowledge for ourselves and hopefully share some amazing knowledge with you guys. So Barb's a professional coach. She's certified in the Enneagram and various other things, and she works with professionals in Southeast Michigan using the Enneagram to become better leaders, better people, and also better in their personal relationships. So we learned about this when Bud went and took the test at a Vistage meeting for business purposes, but... As he does, he ran home and said that I needed to do it too. (laughs) So we have both taken the test and we are shamelessly the Enneagram 3, that's me, and the Enneagram 8, that's Bud, controlling everything. And we found this information super helpful. So we knew we needed to bring on Barb to really explain it better and talk about how she has seen people use it and really be more effective because of the Enneagram. We hope you guys enjoy and let's get to it. Awesome. Well, Barb, thanks for joining us today. And we cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule. And we'd love to get started with you sharing a little bit about yourself and who you are to our audience. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to join your podcast. The best way to introduce myself is to say that I do executive coaching. I am a certified executive coach, which means that I work with business leaders on their leadership skills. And in that capacity, I'm also a Vistage chair, which is why I know you, Bud. That's how we were brought together, yes. (laughs) And how I know you, Sarah. And as a Vistage chair, I facilitate Uh, peer groups of business leaders from small to mid-sized companies. And all of these leaders, the the requirement for them to be a Vistage member is that they need to be really dedicated to their own personal and professional development. And we focus on that in each of our meetings. And so it gives me great pleasure really to work with business leaders who are committed to their own development and, and who are willing to be vulnerable and share and give to their peers in the groups that I facilitate. So focus in personal and professional development that you talk about with to basically qualify to be a member of Visage is really fun, I think, for us to talk about today, because that's what we love talking about on a Confident Couples podcast. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about a subject in the Enneagram today and dive really deep into that and your knowledge. Can you tell us a little bit more about where and how you started and discovered the Enneagram and how you love and what you love about that? Yeah. So I was introduced to the Enneagram as part of my coaching certification program. I'm certified through a school on the West Coast called New Ventures West. And as part of my own year-long certification 
process, I was introduced to the Enneagram and we, each of us were asked to take this assessment and it was integrated into our own coaching program. So in other words, I was coached throughout the entire program. And so I learned about myself through the Enneagram. That was my first introduction. And then a few years passed after I was certified in, in doing coaching work and I rediscovered it quite by accident through the internet and email. And uh, after I got the third message about an Enneagram workshop, I thought, okay, the spirit is talking to me. I need to pay attention to this. I took the next step and got actually certified in an Enneagram teaching program. So, and since that time, I was, have been certified in a couple of other programs related to the Enneagram. I love the Enneagram so much because it doesn't just help to assess your personality type. In other words, what your strengths are and what your challenges are and how you see the world. It really provides a deeper look at what motivates us to think and behave a certain way. It helps us to identify patterns and how we can get locked into those patterns. So um, the Enneagram has been one of the most valuable tools in my toolkit for self-knowledge, for relationship development, and certainly for the work that I do with leaders in my coaching and vestige work. That's great. I'd love to learn a little bit more about the Enneagram. So for someone that's never heard of this concept, how would you explain to them what the Enneagram is? So it's actually a very ancient model that describes nine different personalities or nine different worldviews. If you think about a worldview as a lens through which you look at the world. And so the Enneagram helps us to discover how our view of the world enables us to survive and to succeed. But at closer look, it also helps us to see how limited it is. So once we discover that there are nine views, nine different lenses through which people look at the world, it's like an aha moment, like, oh my gosh, here I'm thinking everybody's looking at the world through my lens or should be looking at the world through my lens. Um, and so just the discovery that there are nine different ways to see the same reality helps us to you know, get grounded in, in the fact that Life is complex. Human beings are complex. And so how we view the world may be different than others, but we have an opportunity to connect and to, through curiosity and questioning and conversation, begin to recognize, you know, what the differences are and similarities are. So that's the easiest way to describe it. It's actually in the shape of a circle. The, the model itself is in the shape of a circle. And that sort of geometric shape means that there is no one perfect type. All nine types are equal in value. And then there are some other geometric shapes inside of the circle. There's a triangle and there's a hexagon. And so all of those lines inside of the circle actually demonstrate how connected we are to other types. That even though we have one lens or one home base, which is our primary personality, we actually have an opportunity to demonstrate our connection to other types when we're in stress or when we're relaxed. We have wings, you know, which is one side or the other of our primary type. So all of that may sound a little complex, but if you see the visual, it will make sense. 
I don't know if you want me to go on, you guys. <laughs> Keep going. Love it. Keep going. I was just going to say that we're um, going to put a picture of this circle with the shapes inside in the show notes for this episode. So oh, cool. if our listeners are struggling to imagine this in their brains, it's really easy to just go to budandsarah.com, look for this episode, and you'll be able to see what we're talking about with the nine types around the circle. Great. Thanks. That's, that's very helpful. The other thing I was going to say, when you look at the visual that you post, is that um, it's sort of color-coded. So there's three what we call centers of energy. So all nine types are divided into three different centers of energy. And one of the centers, the green center, is what we call the heart side. And that the three personality types that are located in the heart side basically are looking for some sort of emotional connection. That's what's really important to them. And then the five, six, and seven type are in what we call the blue energy center, and that's the head type. In other words, these are the three personalities that make sense of the world through their brain. And what they're looking for is basically safety and security through data and facts and models and things that really make sense to them. And then there is sort of the orange-red part of the Enneagram, and those are the types 891. And that part of the that center of energy is all about control and autonomy. And these are the types that really are very action-oriented and want, desire to have more control in their lives. And they, you know, they all go about it in different ways. But each of the three personality types in that center of energy in the Enneagram are really focused on some form of control, either for themselves or for others. So let me just go around the circle one more time, because I'm not sure I mentioned the types in the green zone. So in the green zone, you have personality type two, three, four, and those are the types that are heart-centered and looking for connection. Five, six, and seven are in the head types, looking for safety and security through data. And the eight, nine, one are the control types, looking for autonomy in a way to sort of influence the world through action. Well, I'm an eight. I'm Mr. Control. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> the definition yeah. of the eight. Yeah. Um, and I'm a three. And I always think it's so funny. We are all so familiar with the Enneagram now, but I remember before I had ever heard anyone talk about the Enneagram, I heard people saying, oh, I'm a four or, oh, he's such a seven. And it's kind of a little bit hard to understand until you really study it. But once you do, it's very, very interesting. And we've had some really good discussions, but of course, learned about this through working with you at Vistage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I ended up reading a couple books so that I could better understand after, of course, Bud comes home from the meeting and says, you need to take this test so that we understand what number you are. <laughs> I wanted to understand more about all of the different types and kind of how to interact with each type and really appreciate the differences between them. So I almost feel like the Enneagram can feel like a little bit of an insider's club. So when Mm. you get it, you can talk about it, but it just takes a, a little bit of study. So I'm curious how you would suggest to someone to actually get started. Would it be an assessment type of quiz that they take? Or how would you suggest that someone learn about themselves or get started with the Enneagram? 
I think they could do exactly what you did, Sarah, you know, and just Google the Enneagram. And there's lots and lots of information on the internet now about the Enneagram. And there is consistency. I mean, even though there are different schools in terms of how it's taught, the model itself is the same. So it's not like if you go to one site or the other, you're going to get a totally different story about what the Enneagram is. There might be different labels for each of the types. So for instance, in you know one of the schools, they refer to the eight, you're going to love this, bud, as the top dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in other you know schools, the eight is referred to as the director. So the labels might be a little different, but the actual content, the thought behind the model itself and in the nine different types is very consistent. So I would say, you know, if curiosity piques you, you know, just go to the internet and look it up. But as far as an assessment goes, there are lots of different assessments. And my favorite is the integrated Enneagram. So you can go to integrativeenneagram.com or IEQ9, and that will bring up the same website. I think it's a wonderful website. It's very educational, and it has a lot of good links in it that if you want to go deeper in a particular area, it will help you with that. So yeah, that's what I would say is start doing some reading about it. And if you're interested in taking an assessment, you can take an assessment through the Integrative Enneagram website that I talked about, but there's the Hudson Institute and lots of others that are available to you. So it's like anything else. There is an immense amount of information about it and you sort of need to be selective with regard to how much information you want and which of these websites really work for you. But what I like about the Integrative Enneagram site is not only that the website itself is well done, the assessment, while it isn't free, it is validated. And so for $50, you take the assessment, you get immediately a PDF report back, and the report is about 20 pages long, and it gives you really such wonderful information about your primary type, about your subtype. I haven't even gotten into that, but all of the different dimensions of the Enneagram. And also it gives you information about what your strengths are, what your challenges are, and gives you some tips for how to continue to develop as a human being. And that's really the point of this. It isn't so much that we type ourselves, that we're able to label ourselves or label others. It really is about self-knowledge and self-development. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So obviously, we all really are interested in the Enneagram, and we found it fascinating. I'd love to hear your opinion about why it's worthwhile for someone to go through this. I know we've had discussions about self-awareness. Can you tell us a little bit more about why someone would want to take the time and effort to take the assessment and to study this and learn a little bit more? Well, I think I'd have to say that in all of the years that I've been working with the Enneagram and also with adults with regard to their own development, My son said to me the other day, you know, someone told him that adulting was hard. He said, but I had no idea it was this hard, you know, and I said, yeah, it is. And I think in terms of why you would want to invest some time or even some money in introducing yourself to the Enneagram or any tool that will help you to understand yourself better 
It really is so that you can be more fully an adult, so that you can more fully claim who you are, understand why you keep getting into the same difficult situations or why a certain topic just triggers you and you find yourself overreacting when somebody criticizes you or why you go silent when somebody asks you to make a decision. It's self-awareness is the key, is the key that unlocks your ability to actually grow as a human being and then have richer, more, more what, two-way relationships with other people. So adulting is hard. Being a human being is difficult. I mean, we have such a difficult time making sense of the world. And if you don't understand yourself, how can you possibly engage in a meaningful relationship? How can you possibly understand what's happening in the world around you may challenge you, excite you, invite you, or shut you down? The only way that we can continue to progress as human beings is first of all through self-awareness and through honesty. I mean, self-awareness is all about being humble and vulnerable because we don't like looking at the sides of ourselves that we that we find distasteful. And when I was introduced to the Enneagram, you know, it's like anything else, there's like this thrill and excitement about, oh good, this is all about me. And then I read the report and it was like, oh my God, this is all about me. <laughs> It knows you know, me. How does yes, it know? I yeah. I mean, there's the upside, like, yeah, that's me. And then there's the downside, like, oh, God. You know, most of the time when I work with, introduce the Enneagram to my clients, their first reaction is, I don't want to be a two, you know, or I don't want to be a three, or I don't like this. And it's like, well, then this must be you. Because if you have that kind of visceral reaction, you know, to the blind side or the shadow side of your personality type, Mm, you know, that's telling you something. That's so, so true. Yeah. I, I Sarah really, had the same reaction. Oh, yeah, I, I really did. did. No, but <laughs> fully owns being an eight and being the active controller of everything. But I've heard that the three is the most shameful type. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but that was what one resource I read said that uh, often threes really struggle with being labeled as threes. And I definitely had that reaction like, oh, can I pick a different one? I'm pretty sure that I have a lot of qualities of the one. Um, I identify with the one. I'd like to be a one. Um, I actually said I'd really like to be a seven. They sound really fun. I know that's not actually me, but that sounds really great. I think people that are sevens must just be wonderful. That's what I think about the Enneagram that has been helpful for me is that it's not an aspirational assessment. It's a factual assessment of where you are and who you are naturally. And to then learn those pieces of data and information about yourself in a different setting than like talking to somebody, you can actually read it from the assessment. And I think that's one of the things that I loved about it so much that makes me love my eightness even more. (laughs) Well, just let me make a couple of comments. I mean, one is, of course, the eight loves himself or herself. (laughs) Um, Of course you do, you know, because that's, you know, the eight is all about like standing on a soapbox and saying, here I am, I'm the leader you've been waiting for, you know, so there's so much energy and so much pride. So the challenge for an eight is to recognize that, oh, by the way, you, you do have a dark side. 
you aren't, you know, the always the knight in shining armor to come to terms with the fact that you have some weakness. The eight projects so much strength that it's almost like, hmm, if I admit it, I have any weakness. It's like poking a, a pin in a balloon. All of my oxygen, you know, will be depleted. I, I won't yeah. have life. My life source will be gone. So the challenge for an aide is to come to terms with your vulnerability, to come to terms with having some weaknesses or not being able to actually what control the world. And, and I you've would done say, a lot of great work with me on talking me through some of those blind spots that I have when we do our one-on-ones and yeah. the Enneagram to talk about. It's been a useful tool for me to study outside of our time together and use as a tool inside of our time together. Good. And I would say, Sarah, in terms of the, the three and shame, I think what you picked up in your reading is that the wounds of the, you know, we all have, this is the Jungian part of the, of the model, right? Is that all of our personality types actually emerge from these very early childhood wounds that we don't even remember. But it's the wound that sort of drives us to find a personality type that will enable us to survive. And so part of the wounding for a two, three, or four in that green zone of the Enneagram is, you know, that we're so dependent on the way others perceive us. Uh, And that's the connection thing, right? So we're so dependent on the way others perceive us that we try our best to always be perceived in a positive light. And so if there's any indication of rejection by somebody else, and rejection comes in all forms, right? It could be, yeah, I don't like your outfit or, you know, or disagreement, any form of rejection. The feeling isn't, you know, something's wrong with you. The feeling goes internal for a two, three, or four. And that feeling is a feeling of shame. Like there's some, something must be wrong with me that you reject me. So that's the big difference. Like there's a lot of similarities between three and eights because threes and eights are very action oriented, but the three is so sort of tied into this self-concept that I need to be validated by other people. And the way I'm validated by other people is by proving to them what a high performer I am and how much I can achieve and, you know, that I'm competent. And if there's any doubt about that, I don't reject your doubts. I internalize them and think, ha, huh, something is wrong with me. And that's the shame. That's the shame that goes with the three. So yes. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I identify with that. And I assume the eight is just like, oh, you don't like me? Well, that's fine. I'm good. Yeah, the eight is you don't like me. It's like something's wrong with you. <laughs> and I'm happy to help you figure that out. Yes. Let me tell you about it. Or let me talk to you about it. <laughs> right, right. So, Barb, we wanted to ask you about the Enneagram versus other personality assessments. So anyone who's been in business might have heard of the DISC or the Myers-Briggs or all sorts of other assessments that are available for personalities and teams. And we just wondered if you had any thoughts about how you'd compare or contrast the Enneagram to those. So I would say they're all good. I wouldn't complain about any of the assessments. The DISC, I think, and there's a lot of similarities. So the DISC basically divides personalities into four quadrants. You probably know that. And 
through the assessment, you basically are identified as a sort of a, they, they take two types. So it's like a D and I is your strength. or So they talk about some similar things to the Enneagram in terms of action orientation versus, you know, sort of internalization. So the DISC, I think, is a very valid assessment. And I think a lot of companies use it. And it's helpful to determine who are your your doers, who are, you know, your thinkers, who are your creative types, who are your relationship types. So I think that model in particular can help in relation to, let's say, roles and, and responsibilities. And if it sheds light on, you know, what my strengths are and what my challenges are, it all leads to the same place with, with regard to self-development. As long as it's used for self-development and not for judgment of myself or judgment of others, such that I make I think one type is better than another. So let me just put that in context. I'm working with a company right now that is very focused on achievement, very focused on image. In fact, I would say it's a, if I had to type it as a company, I would say it's a three. You know, Sarah it's, just held her fingers up and said three. Yeah. Before <laughs> you said it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so there is this drive, drive, drive to achieve. And I'm coaching an individual who told me that, you know, she just recently took the disc again and came out like at a 90% D, which is a driver. And I said, huh, because my experience of her is that she's a two. And I said, well, that's really interesting. And she took the assessment and the first time the Enneagram assessment and the first time she took it, it came out as an eight. So we read through the report and I said, so tell me how much of this really resonates with you? You know, give me an example of, you know, how anger controls, because the eight is in the anger zone, how anger controls your life. Oh, I'm never angry that way. So as I'm asking her questions, she's coming to the realization. She has put on the eight personality to survive in this organization. She has taken and retaken the disc. She's figured out the disc. She's figured out how to take that assessment so that she shows up as a strong D, so that she fits in the culture. So this is the downside of using only one assessment type in an organization, is that if people can figure out what you're looking for, what you reward, instead of using any assessment for development, then it really is self-defeating. You know, it creates more cultural issues than contributing to the health of the organization. So the same as with the Enneagram, she had figured out how to take that to maybe not be true to who she actually was, but to create the persona she needed for work? Well, I think what happened is that she answered the question. She took the Enneagram assessment. takes about 30 minutes to take this assessment, by the way. She took it when she was at work and when she had her work persona on. Interesting. So I was able to get her a retest, which, you know, doesn't automatically happen. But because of the way that she scored, I was able to talk with the assessment firm and she wasn't, you know, charged for a second assessment. And I had her take the assessment again. And sure enough, she came out as a, a two, but she took that assessment when she was at home over a weekend. And I encouraged her to really think about who she is in life not just who she is at work. And so, and as you know, 
through the model, and I'm now speaking to your audience that doesn't know the model, the two connects to eight in stress. So her real home type is two, which is the nurturer, the giver, the caregiver. But when she's in stress, she shows up as an eight. So she definitely has the eight side to her personality. But when she's at work, that's the dominant side. And in life, she really comes at everything from a two perspective. So That's fascinating. Yeah. Would you recommend that people take the Enneagram assessment at home or in any particular conditions? Yes, I definitely would recommend that you take it when you are in a space that feels very safe to you, when you're not under pressure in terms of time, you know, when you have quiet in space. And just try to be yourself. I mean, the interesting thing, and Sarah, I can speak to you too, because I have three in me as well. I mean, the interesting thing is that some of us grow up with this should voice in our heads, you know, like you should be this way, you should be that way. And so when we take assessments, it's really hard to quiet that voice down and to say, well, this is really who I am versus who I think others want me to be. That's when I prepare people to take an assessment. Those are my words of advice is think about who you are in private and in relationship, but not based on how you want others to perceive you or how you think you should be perceived. So that's hilarious where you say Sarah grew up in a should home or should be like this. So I remember in high school uh, when we were dating that I was not the strong student in the relationship. Sarah was a much stronger student and I got praised endlessly for good grades of B of A's and B's because they weren't always easy for me to achieve. Mm-hmm. Sarah was a 4.0 valedictorian of our high school graduating class. Number one, the whole, the whole boat went on to do it all over again in college. So no loss on anybody who's a, who knows the threes out there. Right. But I remember her saying in high school, like, yeah, I told my mom and dad I got another 4.0 or a perfect score and everything. And they were like, yeah, we know. You should. We expect mm-hmm. you to. Mm-hmm. It's like standard operating procedure for them. Right. And I always said that that's interesting for you to bring that up now, too. Yeah. And how did that feel, Sarah? <laughs> Oh, I was so disappointed. I was looking for the validation. Yes. I'm like, you know, throw me some gold stars and some confetti right. or something. Right. That's why you always liked helping me with my homework because I gave you lots of validation and helping me get better grades. <laughs> That's why it was fulfilling. <laughs> sweet. That's sweet. Yes. And threes really need that recognition, right? Because that validates that validates who you are. And yeah, so that's that's a perfect example. Perfect example. Well, and that's, I think, something that we can learn about relationships too. So through me taking this test and sharing the information with Bud, we can talk through together, hey, you know what? I didn't really think about it, but I do really like when you make sure to acknowledge when I've made an effort to do something. Right. You know, that's important for my natural personality and that really makes me feel good. So that's a really interesting interpersonal outcome of the Enneagram. And right. it just leads me to um, ask you, since this is a couples and relationship mm-hmm. podcast, and we've mostly talked about self-awareness so far. I'd love to talk a little bit about using the Enneagram in relationships, mm-hmm. important relationships of any type. Yeah, I think it's made such a difference for me. I mean, I wish that I had been introduced to the Enneagram when I was a young parent, because I think I would have raised my kids very differently, recognizing the differences between them. 
But I definitely use them in my relationship. Bill, my husband, took the Enneagram assessment, I think even before we started dating. But we talk about it, it comes up so often, as I think it does with you and Bud, Sarah. So my husband is a nine, although he has an awful lot of seven in him. He's quite the adventurer, which is the seven. But the nine is the the peacemaker, the facilitator, the person who wants to be sure that every voice in the room is heard and feels acknowledged. And uh, so, you know, he's always looking for another point of view. And that's wonderful. It's really like, I think of him as a leader, as sort of a King Arthur, you know, with the, with the round table and everything is about consensus. He's got the right size for it. He's big man. <laughs> he's a big yeah. old teddy bear at the same time though. Yeah. But you know, the downside of a nine is A, they avoid conflict like the plague. And part of the reason, part of the reason they avoid conflict is because if they have a point of view that differs from another person's point of view, then how can they possibly bring peace to the, you know, they don't, they don't want to be the one that creates the wave, right? They want to be the one that creates the calm. And, and so as a leader, it's very difficult sometimes to work for a nine because, you know, you want your leader to have a point of view, right? You don't want them to sort of keep going around the circle. Oh, what do you think, bud? Oh, what do you think, Sarah? Oh, what do you think, Barr? I mean, there comes a point where you need to make a decision and, and of course, followers want to have their voice be part of the decision-making process, but they also want to know, what does the leader think? It, that's the challenge for a nine leader is, you know, where's your voice? Find your voice. Be clear about what your position is. Not that it's it squelches other voices, but that it's part of the mix. And in relationship, you know, I have to say that, <laughs> you know, he's a wonderful husband, but it's sort of a joke now when, when you know, we, we say, well, what's for dinner? And I turn to Bill and say, what would you like for dinner? I don't know, honey, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever you want. Well, what restaurant should we go to? Well, I'm, I'm open to anything, whatever you want. So it's like, it's kind of a joke. It's like, okay, I'm giving you to, I'm going to count to five and you and I can both say at the same time something that we have in mind and then we can, you know, take it from there. It's a challenge. My style, and Sarah, I know uh, you're a three and Bud's an eight. There's so much similarity. What's wonderful about the two of you is that you're in two different energy centers in the Enneagram, but you're also both direct communicators. You know, it's like a no bullshit style, right? Yes. So <laughs> if you see something that bugs you, you know, you, Sarah, you may be a little more gentle about how you describe it to Bud. But it's still direct, you know, you're, you're not going to just avoid indicating that, you know, the fact that he didn't bring in the trash can is annoying to you, yes. right? <laughs> There's that story. There's that story. I heard right. that story. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, with Bill, it's a little more challenging for somebody like me who, who does believe in direct communication. And so we just had a, a really good heart to heart over the weekend. And I was sharing with him, to be honest, how discouraged I am by the state of politics in our country and how discouraged I am about the state of leadership and how I didn't feel like, you know, it, there was a balance of power. And so every time that I started to talk about my discouragement, he countered it with, 
yeah, but you have to look at this and you have to look at that. And of course, and I finally said to him, so Bill, I know that you're an optimist and I know that you want to point out to me all the different points of view. The fact is, I'm aware of all those different points of view. What I need you to do right now is just listen to me and my pain. Listen to my discouragement. Listen to my sadness over the state of affairs. And then we can talk about how do we move forward. And I just needed to get this, you know, without all of your sunny optimism about how things are going to work out fine, I just need to shed all this sadness that I have. As I listen to this, I think it's so important that you're aware that he is the nine personality type. And that's just how he views the world. Even in the restaurant conversation, where are we going to dinner? He's not trying to be useless or combative by not choosing somewhere. He's not purposely trying to annoy you. That's just what he thinks is right. And that's his personality. And that's what I've found so much in this type of testing is you realize that people are just different than you and they're not necessarily trying to frustrate you. They just see things differently and might approach these things differently. And you have to understand and appreciate them for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You summarized that very well. So being able to appreciate the differences, I think, is, you know, one of the greatest values of this particular tool. And I'm just going to take you back a bit because I got off into a story, but you were asking about other assessments. And the Myers-Briggs, I think, is a brilliant assessment. There's a lot of, you know, it's a Jungian-based. So Carl Jung is his whole psychological explanation for the development of personality. I mean, all of that's taken into consideration in the development of this tool, the the Myers-Briggs assessment. The thing about Myers-Briggs is that I find it to be more complicated in that every person has these four types. So now you don't just have one label, you have four labels. And it's a little difficult to know what to do with that assessment. Like, where does that lead in terms of development? So the reason that I'm so pro-Enneagram is that it just automatically leads into development of uh, the individual as opposed to some of these other assessments that just sort of gives you the label. And if you don't have a skilled facilitator to sort of help you figure out where to go next after you assess yourself and you have this new label, it sort of ends there. So the Enneagram goes deeper than just the label. It helps you to understand what motivates you. Like if you're a two and you're, you present to the world how caring you are, how nurturing you are. That feels really good. But when you go under the surface, when you scratch the surface of a two, what you discover is that twos themselves are very needy. And so the way that twos feel validated as a human being, whether the two is a male or a female, is by projecting needs onto others. So now you're sort of forcing yourself onto people saying, well, I can fix that for you, or I can help you with that. And often people feel a little invaded, if you will, by twos that don't understand how to create boundaries and how to take care of their own needs. So so I think the, the power of the Enneagram is to understand not just what our type is, but where that comes from in terms of our own sort of initial wounding as a child and what our needs are 
what we need in order to feel fulfilled, how to take care of ourselves as opposed to relying on other people to make us feel fulfilled. Yeah, that makes sense. I I had a question as you describe the two. I'm sitting here going, I think I know a two. So I'm wondering, is it okay to kind of guess at someone else's type and use that to understand them better? Or is that not something you should do if someone hasn't taken an assessment or figured out their own type for themselves? That's one of the things that we focus on a lot in certification with the Enneagram. So the the cardinal sin is to label somebody without giving them the opportunity to self-assess. But the fact of the matter is, once you understand the nine types, you can sort of pick up the clues. So speaking of boundaries, I would say the boundary line or the red line is don't tell somebody you're a needy too. (laughs) You're being such a two right now. You're being such a two. But try to understand where they're coming from and meet them where they are. So, for instance, I had a coaching session earlier today, and my leader was telling me that he had a partner. This was a CPA firm. He had a partner who was sort of acting rogue and was introducing a process that was outside of the parameters of what, as a firm, they had agreed to. And so he, as the managing partner, was trying to figure out how to have this conversation with him. So I started asking him questions. Well, what do you think is motivating him to do this? Like, why? Why would he choose a different process and a different model and tool than what you've already agreed to? And and so my questioning sort of led him to describe this individual as being highly analytical and focused on numbers. And I said, okay. So let's talk about how you're going to have a conversation with him. Well, he wanted to have a conversation that was sort of emotional about, you know, you can't do this. You're, you know, you're, you're stepping outside of the bounds. You know, you're going to hurt the culture of the organization. You're going to destroy trust. And I said, huh, how about if you start the conversation by asking him, what are you getting out of this? What's the benefit of using a different instrument or a different tool? Is it helping you to be more analytical? Focus on what he is motivated by and see if you can learn from him why he's made these decisions that are contrary to the rest of the firm. And maybe when you find out, so if you meet him where he is, right, the analytical type, the numbers, maybe you can find out what's motivating him to sort of go against the grain. And then you can have a conversation about the cost benefit of that decision. I don't know if that you did that. I love that. And you did that with me too. The last time we did a coaching call and we were talking about communication between Sarah and I over a couple of things. And you had just said, you got to remember that the threes are very shameful at any prospect of failure. And you do not have that. And you're not worried about that at all with your personality. So just respect that, that when you're talking to Sarah about that, that help her through and acknowledge the shame that may be there for her and meet her where she is so that you can make a better impact than just being like, well, the classic eight is like, well, who cares? You made a mistake. Move on. Yes. 
it's about kind of taking and understanding someone else's personality rather than trying to shove your personality and your perspective down their throat, which I think is probably more effective in communication. And you have to do this first. And that's why we talked about self-awareness first. You've got to come from self-awareness first to get to the appreciating differences that we're talking about right now. That's so important. Right. You can't put one, you can't put appreciating differences before self-awareness. But once you get to where we're at and know the more and have somebody like yourself to work with, you can get a lot of stuff done in appreciating differences and meeting people where they're at. Right. It alleviates an awful lot of stress. I mean, you can never avoid conflict. I don't think of conflict as necessarily anger or as a bad thing. It's just differences, right? I think the Enneagram helps us to recognize that differences are a good thing. Nine different ways of viewing the world gives us so much more rich complexity and rich opportunity as opposed to one way of doing things, one way of seeing the world. I mean, imagine if the world was just full of you, bud. It would be sort of a Game of Thrones kind of scene. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> Newsflash, everybody dies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, you know, it's just, it's viva la difference, really. It's, you know, it's recognizing that our way of seeing the world is, is powerful and good. And, and loving ourselves and loving our orientation to life is great, but we also have to accept that there's limitations to it and that each of us, each of our types are triggered by something different and it's usually a different type. And if we recognize and understand that, we'll see it when it shows up. And instead of blaming somebody for being who they are, you know, it's sort of, we can turn the light back on ourselves and say, oh, there I am again, reacting to that eight because he's so strong. You know, let me just stay silent and sort of appreciate, let him blow off his steam. And then maybe I'll have an opportunity to talk to him about my point of view. So I wanted to take and throw a different question out there because we talked about Bill a little bit. And one of the things that we have talked about in the past are couple rituals and things that you do together. And I wanted to ask you if you guys have any rituals that you two go to use together or do together on a regular basis, even if they don't include the Enneagram. So describe what you mean by rituals. So I'm thinking of what Sarah and I do every day. And we ask about how your day was when we returned back home. And I'm going to lead you to one of the things that I loved was when you're finishing up work, Bill will come bribe you with cheese and crackers. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Full disclosure, Bill and I have only been married three and a half years now. So we're still in that newlywed phase, but we also in, in our relationship have always both been professionals. So I have a full-time job and I work out of my home office and Bill has a full-time job and he works out of his office office there are days when he comes home and I'm still in my office at work and, you know, either like today engaged in a conversation or, you know, engaged with a project that I'm working on. And so he'll come in, you know, wave, throw me a kiss and then disappear into the kitchen and come back with a glass of wine or a plate of fruit and cheese. And it's like, (laughs) and then he'll sit down in this comfy chair right in front of my desk and say, how about a break? And 
You know, it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. So yeah. So That's you know, great. we know Barb. That. I don't know if we've asked you yet what your Enneagram type is. Yeah, I don't think we have. So it's interesting because, and and again, full disclosure, you know, I've taken this assessment a couple of times. And uh, the first time I took it, I took, I assessed as an eight. And again, it was very similar to this female client that I was telling you about earlier. And because I lived in an eight world, I really self-assessed and was a single mom at the time trying so hard to control my world. And so that was the first time. The second time, uh, it's a, it, it, I came out as a three, like you, Sarah. And, you know, I have to say that resonates so much more for me. I mean, this whole energy of the two, three, and four personality types that, you know, feel the need to be connected, feel when that connection isn't there, a sense of shame that I'm doing something wrong, either as a mother or as a spouse or as a as a boss or a leader, that really feels in my gut, I can feel that to be far more real than, you know, what I was sort of feeling as an eight. So I took this assessment a couple of times and I really feel like the three is my zone with the two wing. So Sarah, you and I have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What about a couple who hasn't taken any kind of personality assessments together or hasn't done any of this work together and you've got one, one half of the couple that's really interesting, really interested in doing this. How would you advise that partner in the, in the couple to advocate and ask their other partner to do this together? Yeah. So I really think if there's one person in the couple that hesitates or just doesn't want to take the assessment, I would say just let it go. I mean, self-assessment is the most important thing and you have to choose that. So I would encourage the one individual in the couple to do his or her own work. Explore the Enneagram, discover yourself, begin to relate to your spouse in a way that demonstrates that you you have grown, that you're more patient or that you're more accepting of his differences, you know, let him or her discover that the Enneagram is making a difference in your life and therefore making a difference in the relationship. So my approach is let it be an open invitation and, you know, hopefully the partner will see the value demonstrated in his his or her spouse or his or her partner. And then will you know, willingly want to take it. And if they don't ever want to take it, Sorry. I mean, that's a loss and it's too bad, but I would never, ever force it on somebody because they, they, won't, they either won't assess themselves well, or they'll just resent being dragged into that. It really needs to be an open invitation and sort of a willing acknowledgement that this would be of value. So That makes sense to me. Can't try to force people into no. things that they aren't quite ready for. No. Barb, as we wrap it up today, I just want to ask you if there's anything about the Enneagram you wanted to share that we haven't covered yet. Well, my gosh, you know, do we have another hour? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot we haven't covered. I think I would say that the Enneagram has made a difference in my life, and therefore it's made a difference in the lives of those I'm in contact with or in relationship with. 
And by the way, you know, self-development is a lifelong process. I mean, even though I've grown more and more aware of the qualities of my threeness and the challenges of my threeness, every day is, I feel like I'm making progress and there are other days where I feel like I'm backsliding. And that's the human experience too. I mean, there is frankly no such thing as perfection. It's really all about self-acceptance, acceptance of the fact that we human beings are flawed, the world is flawed, and you know we do the best that we can. But if we're aware, if we're willing to be vulnerable and transparent and honest with ourselves first and foremost, then we can bring that honesty, that transparency to our partner, to our children, to our coworkers. You know, it just will make a big difference. It will, I think, alleviate stress because we're not putting so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And it'll alleviate stress in the lives of others who, you know, we will accept more wholly. Um, I do remember my sons who, you know, one was in college and one was in middle school at the time that I was finishing my coaching certification. And of course, you know, I had the value of the Enneagram, but also being coached. And, you know, my son saying, to me, mom, you're a different person. You're different. You like, you're so much more patient and like calm. And that was the best possible performance review that I get from not my coach or my teacher, but my sons who, you know, meant the world to me. And, and so I would just encourage, you know, if it's not the Enneagram, you know, find something that will help you to really understand yourself better, accept yourself better, and be more present to who you are so that you can be present to all those people in your life who you really love and care about. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for yeah, sharing that with you us. Enough. You're welcome. And uh, I want to transition into our Confident Couples Challenge for this week because I think it goes right along with what Barb was just saying. So in every single episode, we try to give you something actionable you can do today to improve your relationship. And how about for today, being more self-aware? You can go find out your number if you Google search for the Enneagrative 9 Enneagram test. We'll put the link in the show notes so that you can take that assessment and check it out. If this is something that's really interesting to you, start with yourself, follow Barb's advice, and find out some more about your own Enneagram type. Barb, thank you again for your time today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing your wisdom and your stories with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation and for the work that you're doing. Hey, thanks for joining us for the Confident Couples Podcast. If you want to help create more confident couples, share this episode. Post a screenshot on your social media and tag us at Bud and Sarah on Instagram. For show notes for this episode and even more good stuff and advice, head to our website at budandsarah.com. We'll see you soon.